From the Emerald City, it's the Digigods. Now please welcome Dorothy and Toto, Wade Major, and Mark Kaiser. Thank you, Corey. And uh, to whom do we owe that now judiciously edited one submission? That was brought to you by friend of Dorothy, Chevelle Dixon. Thank you, Chevelle. So we've got a, got a full show this week, mostly a ton of uh, classic stuff. Classic old movies, classic classics. That's good. Classic I like Hollywood old stuff. It's, you know, this is, the, this is one of the, uh, we should talk about this a little bit, but this is one of the things I found reassuring about the whole... Uh, recent trend in uh, you know DVD and Blu-ray, which we've talked about with companies like Twilight Time and Olive and uh, Shout Factory, that they're they're just kind of mining the uh, the libraries of the studios and putting the stuff out there that the studios aren't interested in touching. And we're not getting necessarily the restoration or the transfer work that we might hope, because in some cases the elements just aren't uh, aren't in great condition. But at least it's getting out there. Yeah, you know, people absolutely. are able to. I mean, I'd rather have I'd rather have you know. Uh, one of these westerns, you know, these Jimmy Stewart westerns that no one's ever going to pay attention to. I, you know what? Maybe it's scratchy. Maybe there's a couple of there's a little bit of color shifting in the print, um, but I'd rather have it than not. Look, terms of endearment. Yeah, he won Best Picture. Yeah, Paramount couldn't care less. I know. Yeah, it's weird. It, uh, was it Twilight Time or yeah. whoever it was farmed it out? It's yeah. crazy. I know. Nuts. It's, it's, it's anyway. really it's really sad. It's just, but it's, but it's, it's, it, it's become such a bottom line w- business. The now. other interesting thing too, though. And we've got one of these this week, uh, and, and I'll talk about it when we come to it. Is that because Twilight Time and Olive and, and uh, you know uh, whoever else there is doing this Shout Factory, because they are enjoying success with some of these releases, when the rights revert, uh, and these are all very limited you know time limited window deals. That's why a lot of them are you know that's why Twilight Time only makes you know three thousand or five thousand or whatever a number of copies is that the, those rights will eventually revert back. And in some cases, they're like, wow, there really is a market, and then they'll do their own. And so people who didn't get one of those limited release copies, uh, they, they get it again. So, And we got one of those this week. And we I'll do. Just, I, we do. We do indeed. I think part of the issue, too, with some of these for the studios yeah. is that obviously the studios like Sony also do things like make televisions. Yes. And some of these smaller films, they don't move, they don't motivate people to upgrade their televisions. No, no they don't. They don't mot- motivate people to buy the latest Blu-ray player. So to them, it's like, well, if no one's going to buy it and yeah. it doesn't motivate people to upgrade other equipment, what's the point? So, Mark, uh, new movies this week. We got a big one here. We do? We, we do. We well, have, have a, a really, big one, all right. We got a big one. I have we a big got one right here. The big release this week, right here. What is it? Insidious... Th- chapter wow. three, Insidious Chapter wow. Three. This is the big release this week. It is, uh, isn't it? See, to you, what I'm holding in my hand is not uh, the big release. It's the fact that we actually have it in our hands. Yeah, that was a little sexual. But what I'm saying is, about- it's not the move. It's not the fact that the movie's out on Blu-ray. It's the fact that we are actually holding the Blu-ray in our hands, and what, what, which what, is what, unprecedented. What, what movie is that? It would be a Marvel film. Yeah, and it would be Avengers: Age of Ultron. Anyway. What I was saying about Insidious 3, wow. Insidious Chapter 3 um, is it's the biggest horror movie of the year. And do you know why I know that? Because it says it on the box. Because it's printed on the sticker on the box. Right now, so it now, must be true. Well, normally you would only read that if, if, if it was your <laughs> blurb. No, it's not. Now, but what is the, now, it says the biggest 
horror movie of the year. What is the what is biggest mean? Biggest it, in terms of you, what? You know, biggest in terms it's of just a generic. Biggest in terms of buy this Blu-ray digital HD combo set because we say so. No, uh, let's let's talk about Avengers: Age of Ultron, uh, collector's edition. Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray digital HD combo set. Of course, you can get it in DVD. You can get it in a Blu-ray combo set as well. I don't know why they bother to do Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray, and um, uh, digital HD, which, of course, is the Disney Anywhere version of uh, the Disney Movies Anywhere version of this, not ultraviolet. Disney has their own separate thing, which I actually think is better implemented. Uh, Why they don't just throw a DVD in here, I don't know. Everything else is in here. Just throw the DVD in. It doesn't make sense. Uh, but anyway, I guess they got to pull their punches somewhere. At least now we're getting copies of this. Uh, nice red, sparkling red uh, keep case, the whole deal with slip cover. Uh, Mark, what, you, what are your feelings about this? You saw this projected. I did. Did you see it in 3D? No. Okay. I can do that. All right. Well, Please, I'm, come on. I wasn't sure. I have taste. You're, Speaking of taste, I have ice cream for you later. Oh, goody. Yummy. How about some of that stuff we had last week? you have any more of that? Any of that left? <laughs> I could eat about a pound and a half of that. Really? Did yeah. you like it? I, I, I you know tell. what? It, the aftertaste was, after I, I got over the fact that it tasted like, like, like something from my garden. Um, but I, I took actual mint yeah. leaves, yeah. and I seeped the cream in the mint leaves for See, that's why it tasted minutes. like the garden, because you, you didn't just use some mint. Like, I didn't use like, mint extract. You didn't I use junior mint. mints. No, I used mint. Interesting. Mint leaves. Actual mint leaves. 40 of them. I counted 40 of them. I did. <laughs> Forty leaves. <laughs> but I have ice cream for you later. Your thoughts? Uh, your thoughts about Avengers: uh, Age of Ultron? You know, it's not that it's a bad movie, but it, it it's it it motivates the conversation where you think to yourself, "I think enough is enough." Yeah. I think Marvel has to find something else to. You know, here's the thing: right after they came out with Avengers, yeah. when everybody was saying that it's just more stuff and more junk and throwing at the screen and just more plot complications and more characters and more special effects and then more is not always better, although this movie's fine. Right after we were starting to have that conversation about how, like, what is Marvel's long game? If if every movie's going to be this gigantic, there's no place else to go. And then they came out with Ant-Man. Yeah. And Ant-Man at least is a little more modestly scaled, and it's the movie that Marvel needed at that time. What is after Avengers, people were getting sick of it. What's going to be the real telltale moment for me is how Doctor Strange does. Because nobody likes Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is lame. Uh, Doctor Str- you see, why do you put me in this, in this <laughs> box every week? Uh, I loved Doctor Strange. That was, Doctor Strange, far and away my favorite Marvel hero. The worst. Far and away. Because the, the world of Doctor Strange was always more interesting. No, he's not. It was not this, like, you know, with the infinity blah, 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 infinity gauntlet crap with the Tesseract and all. The whole cosmic space-going thing. With Doctor Strange, it was it was the supernatural. It was the occult. You know, it was going into this dimension of witches and demons and this other simultaneous dimension of world and witchcraft and sorcery. That stuff was really, really interesting. And it was really – it was interestingly implemented. And his whole deal, his whole origin story is interesting. You know, he sits between two worlds. And that – if they're able to make that work – you know, there was a Doctor Strange TV movie, like 19 – what was it, 1980, 81, something like that – which was not bad. I mean, it was it, when all these when the, all these other attempts at doing Marvel stuff for television at the time were just horrible and lame and dreadful. That was the one that really seemed cool, but it was ahead of its time, and nobody really got on board. And so I'm wondering if uh, if they you know stay true. I think Feig is a guy about staying true to the to the to the essence of the comics. I think if they can pull that off, it's a bright future. The Doctor Strange. Yeah. 
The only reason why Doctor Strange will do well is because the rest of the Marvel Universe will just pull him along. Yeah, well, maybe. I think, I think it, look, Benedict Cumberbatch, man. They got you the right guy. They, you know what? You can't uh, argue about the uh, Cumberbitches the right who they guy. love. Yeah. So, uh, Marvel, uh, whatever, Age of Ultron, I don't want to tell you. Uh, you know, you've all seen it anyway. It's a beautiful Blu-ray. Got a lot of great uh, uh There's forty. There's editions. 45 minutes of additional stuff, including uh, excised scenes, which actually, uh, I, I agree with what some people are saying. They do help make more sense of an otherwise ridiculously overstuffed and convoluted plot that is just loaded with all kinds of inconsistencies and holes and dead ends. And, like, wh- why, where'd that go? Why is that even in the movie? And, you, you, and, and uh, it has been discussed a little bit that uh, this was a troubled development project. Uh, and that uh, Joss Whedon did not necessarily get to do everything he wanted to do, and they were, you know, he had to, he had to, you know, cut some corners, and some things in the script had to go. So uh, naturally, this is going to feel a little bit like an incomplete freeway network. But uh, yes, yeah, some of the additional stuff does make a little bit more sense, but it's still over convoluted and overstuffed. And uh, they're going to have to, they're going to have to. Is I mean, we got two more of these at least, right? The, 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 well, the, uh, the, the the Captain America guys. Well, the, 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 the Civil War one, that's a whole other story. That was a huge, huge deal in, in the, the comics. In the comics, yeah. Huge deal. And I have to say that even though... But the though, Russos are giving us two of those. Yeah, I, I think that's the Russos slam dunked uh, uh, Captain America too. That was a terrific film. That was a good movie. It, they, they, they had the right influences. You know, They were very yeah. influenced by sure. the, the 70s paranoid thrillers, yeah. which is how, probably one of the reasons why they wind up coaxing Robert Redford to be in it. Yeah. Right, it's obviously starring sure. Three Days of the Condor sure. and whatnot. Sure. So the Russo brothers, I gotta say, I, I didn't know who they were. They did a bunch of TV stuff. I had no confidence in them. They slam dunked it. They really yeah. did. No, I agree. So I think Civil War might be okay. But again, we're starting to grade these on a curve now. You know, I don't want them to be okay for a Marvel film. I want them to be okay for any movie. Graded on no on yeah. no curve. Yeah. I'm, and I'm starting to feel like like with with the Avengers movies, you know, the uh, the you know, adrenaline blast of seeing it, you know, and seeing all your colorful characters flying around is exciting in the moment. But when it's over, yeah. it was just much ado about nothing. It was just like this big sugar rush, yeah. and then it's over. Yeah. And you don't care anymore. You know, do you really want to rewatch Age of Ultron? You really want to rewatch it? Not really. No. No, it's you really kind don't. of. You, you know, saw it. You know, somebody, did, there was an interesting article a couple months ago. I forgot who wrote it. Otherwise, I, I, I give them the credit. But uh, they, they were saying how now, in terms of, big blockbuster films, the anticipation is the film. Yeah. The next tra- trailer one. Trailer two. Oh, my God, there's a new TV spot. Yeah. Oh, my God, there's a new spoiler it's at comicbookhype.com. Cer- certainly true with Star Wars. That the, uh, the actual movie is almost incidental. Yeah. The whole idea is getting people in a froth about the buildup of the release of the film. Yes. That's where people get excited. The film is almost incidental at this yeah. point. That's true. It was an inter- interesting article. Well, I would concur. Anyway, ho- loads of extras here. Uh, you know, the, the aforementioned deleted and excised scenes, uh, extended scenes, uh, gag reel, uh, a whole bunch of stuff on, you know, the, the Marvel Universe and behind the scenes of the thing. It's exhausting. It's almost as exhausting as the movie. Uh, but you know what? The best thing here is the uh, Joss Whedon commentary. It's really good. It's really good. It's, He's it's, a smart guy. Joss Whedon is a smart guy. You know, not that uh, his, he his... talks. He talks a good game. His sensibility is very specific, yeah. but... You know what? He's a, he's a very intelligent guy. No, he is. It can't, think of what you want about his movies. You, they can't be denied he's a smart guy. Absolutely true. By the way, I want ice cream. 
You want ice cream? I do. Go get, get go, some go ice cream. Talk about I'll talk crap. about Insidious 3 and a couple other things. So Insidious Chapter 3, uh, you know, another James Wan thing. Uh, he produced it this time, and uh, it's directed by Leigh Whannell. So, yeah, you're fine. It's more insidious, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it's more of the same. I, basically, the, 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 the calling it Chapter 3 is weird because this is a prequel. Um, so it's kind of chapter negative one, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I've never, I've never really appreciated this, uh, this franchise. Uh, it just feels like almost all the rest of these, the things that have kind of emerged, these horror franchises over the past five to ten years. Um, and this one really isn't that, uh, it isn't any different. It just, you know, normally a, go- a ghost movie of this sort that owes a lot to J-horror, uh, would uh, probably affect me in some way, but it doesn't. I'm just kind of tired of the whole thing. That being said, if you are a fan of the the franchise, you'll probably be fine with this. Uh, it's a Blu-ray and a, an ultraviolet combo set. Um, you get a you know deleted scenes and a few other featurettes and whatnot, and uh, a little origin story uh, on the making of, and that's it. Interesting little low-budget uh, sci-fi thing. Not too low-budget. The Anomaly with Brian Cox, Luke Hemsworth, and uh, Ian Somerhalder uh, stars in this thing. Uh, this is, uh, this is you know, it, it, a bigger budget than you would think it has, but not as big of a budget as it probably should have had. Um, the uh, This guy, it's basically about a guy who... Uh, suffers from a, uh, a a weird kind of form of blackout amnesia. He he actually comes to uh, for only like nine minutes and forty seven seconds, and uh, suddenly finds out that he's like a, he's now an assassin, right? And so it's it's one of these uh, movies that plays with memory and uh, and what really happened. Like what was the Tom Cruise thing? What they what they the it, 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 all you need is kill Edge became tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, right? All you need is kill. It's so much of a better title. Anyway, it's in that same kind of a vein. Uh, a little bit of uh, memento, a little bit of you know, lathe of heaven, kind of. It's it, all these things that play with perception. To some degree, The Matrix does that. So um, Luke Hemsworth and Brian Cox, both really, really terrific. Um, yeah, Noel Clark is 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 good. Uh, it's fine. Are you talking about the anomaly? Yeah, that's it. Done with the anomaly. Uh, you know what? Here, talk about Navy SEALs versus zombies. I'm going to have some ice cream. Hang on. Oh. I have to explain the ice cream. Okay. First of all, it's melting. Yeah. It is um, salted caramel ice cream. Oh, my gosh. This is really good. With little uh, chunky things in it. Mmm. Good. Now, you, it's not a function of making the ice cream. you got to also make the chunky things. So this ice cream. Yeah. Overall, it was a pain in the ass to make. Really? Because you have to make the chunky things. I won't tell you what the chunky things are made out of, because it's very ghetto, but they work in so, the ice cream. So they green? It has like saltines. and. Well, here's really? The, yes. Well, here's the thing. So I was in New York a few months ago, mm-hmm. and there's a uh, ice cream store. Now, I tend not to buy store, but I tend not to buy ice cream because I make my own. But sometimes there's ice cream stores that I hear really good. Mm-hmm. So there's one called Ample Hills in Brooklyn. There's a couple of them, but the one I went to is in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had some. It was good. And, I, and when I came back to L.A., uh, I saw they had a, a book, a, a, you know, a recipe book. So I bought it. All right. And now the thing with Ample Hills is that they not only have the ice cream, but they also have you got to make the mix-in, you know, the, the little chunky things mm-hmm. that you got to mm-hmm. mix mm-hmm. in with the thing. Mm-hmm. 
So I hadn't made anything from it, and I decided to uh, to go for it. I love salted caramel, and I made the salted caramel ice cream. And then, but you got to make the mixy things. Now, here's how you make the mixy things. Okay. Saltines. Mm-hmm. This is so non-fat. Saltines. 45 saltine crackers. This isn't the ice cream. This is the, mm-hmm. the, this is the mm-hmm. chunky mix and stuff. Mm-hmm. 45 saltine crackers laid out on a baking sheet. Mm-hmm. Then you take um, a stick and a half of butter. Oh, my gosh. And like a cup and a half of sugar. Holy cow. And you melt them. Mix them, you know, melt them together. Uh-huh. You pour them over the 45 saltine crackers that are laid out onto the uh, baking sheet. You, uh, you put that in the oven for about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then you take 12 ounces of chocolate, chop it up into little slivers. And then you, when you take it out of the oven, where the, the saltines and the butter and the sugar mixture are all hot and melty, you take the um, chocolate and you... Pour it over the saltines and butter and sugar, and then so it becomes like this kind of cracker crack thing. You refrigerate it, chop it up into little bits, and you mix it into the ice cream. Magnificent. So did you like that? Yeah. Are you now really good? Okay, have a second. Whenever you like something, I don't believe you. Why? Because you. Here's the thing. You are the king's taster. You need to tell me (laughs) if something's not good. Otherwise, I don't trust you. You know what? No, I'll I'll tell you. It's not quite creamy like you normally expect salted caramel to be, Mm -hmm. but it's good. Yeah, it's good. The whole chunky thing. I don't care if it's saltines. I mean, I, I, it could be like, you know, bull feces for all I, all I care. Well, it tastes good. Tastes good. All right, talk about Navy. Uh, here, I'll, I'll, let, me, let me kill this off, and then you can do Navy SEALs and zombies. Uh, Wilgo, who usually does Asian stuff every once in a while, comes out with something that's not. And in this case, it is a movie called The Timber, which was shot in Romania, uh, actually. And uh, it takes place during the Yukon Gold Rush in 1898. Uh, it's about a couple of brothers who uh, have basically are uh, uh, have turned uh, uh, into like uh, what you call it's the uh, uh, bounty hunters. Are there bounty hunters still? Aside from Steve uh, Steve Austin in the Fall Guy. No, there's the, there's the uh, uh, the guy who had the show. Yeah, the but wolf, he's... Whatever, but, wolf, but the bounty hunter. Is he a real bounty hunter, hunter or is he just a guy with long hair on a, on a TV show? I mean, he, I mean, he was a bounty hunter in real life, yes. Okay. He uh, was. I mean, but, you I mean, like, the TV... It wasn't just for the TV show? Well, I'm sure... Well, look, like, like, like any reality show, yeah. reality is, uh, is augmented, yeah. scripted, yeah. put on a production call sheet. That's reality on a reality yeah. show. All right, well, anyway... And there's a whole kind of father-son deal thing here uh, as well, which is uh, which is very interesting. Interesting, uh, good performances. James Ransone and Josh Peck as the brothers. Um, yeah, this uh, you know every once in a while it's nice to see a western that's uh, put together in a really interesting way. So anyway, uh, so that's cool to check out the Timber. Josh Peck and James Ransone uh, from Wellgo on a very cool Blu-ray. All right, tell us about Navy Seals versus Zombies, Mark. This is a very strange movie. Now check out this cast, Wade. By the way, the movie about, is about uh, uh, Navy SEALs and zombies. It has the Michael Dudikoff. You can pretty much see Michael Dudikoff being in this movie, right? Piece of junk, B-movie crap. Michael Dudikoff, sure. You see that, right? Yeah. You can see... Um, can you see Rick Fox in this movie? Former Laker Rick Fox? Uh, I, I, sure, why not? Now, can you see uh, former Olympian Lolo Jones in this movie? Uh, no. Well, let me tell you something. Former Olympian Lolo Jones in this movie. Does that make any sense to you? Not really. Okay, good. Now, uh, so this thing obviously is just beyond ridiculous. But um, 
you know, I have to say, I was look, I was all about the, um, I was all about the zombie thing. I still love the zombie thing. No one can make me stop loving zombie things. But this is just ridiculous. Obviously, it's ridiculous. But um, the craziest thing. It would be this awesome movie, if there were if there were no zombies in it. No, the craziest, no the craziest thing about real, this movie. Real seals, like sea lions. The craziest that thing about this great. movie. Yes. Is that it was directed is directed by a guy. This is his first film, right? Uh huh. Stan Barrett. Sure. Stan Barrett, for his entire life up until this moment, NASCAR driver. Nice. Stan Barrett. There you go. NASCAR Sprint Cup driver, directs a movie. How random is that? Pretty cool. Like imagine if like you know Phil Mickelson decided to like direct a movie. Yeah. It'd be like that. I get you. Crazy. I get you. Anyway, this thing is ju- it's just ridiculous. Uh, right. you know, can Stanton Barrett direct a movie? Well, his second unit guy can direct a movie. I'm not sure about Stanton Barrett because there's plenty of action in this thing, but uh, uh, this has just got like sci-fi channel written all over it. I'd all pass. Right. Anger Bay, you've done a lot better. You know who I really, really like? I love Jermaine Clement. He can make anything worth watching. He really can. He's one of those guys who just, he's like, he's like Bill, he's like, oh, nice one. Nice one there. Was that was it really that loud? Yeah, it was that loud. Was it really nice one? Don't this, stop this recording. Is what, this is what happens when we start when we pollute. We eat too our much during the show. <laughs> yeah, we, it becomes like a dinner table, knocking over glasses. Oh, I'm gonna go puke. People, places, and things. People, places, things. Jermaine Clement, Regina Hall, Stephanie Allen, Jessica Williams. Uh, Jermaine Clement's one of those guys. He's like Bill Murray. You just you stick him into a role that would otherwise seem to be just re- and or, or even Christopher Walken. Or Jeff Goldblum. These guys all have Jermaine just... Jermaine Clement has not done that much, been around no, that long. No, but you know what? He when you Whenever you put him into something... Like you remember, He's been like four things. You remember the, the, the American remake of The Dinner Game? Yes. Okay, which is a just horrific, god-awful movie. It, it's, it's a bad movie. With, he was with, funny in it. He was the only decent thing in it. He was outrageously funny. He's just... He just... He brings... He, he brings everything to life that he's in. Uh, but he never really stretches as an actor, at least until this point. But People, Places, Things uh, got a little bit of uh, love from Sundance and the L.A. Film Festival and uh, just kind of came and went this year, released uh, by the Film Arcade and Alchemy on uh, on DVD. is not out on Blu-ray, but uh, just the idea of he's just basically playing a dad who can't grow up. He's a graphic novelist, and uh, his wife left him. And uh, he's now trying to deal with being uh, basically a dad who never grew up and raising twin daughters and uh, trying to figure out who he wants to be when he grows up. And it's, uh, it's just a really sweet, wonderful, loving, uh, interesting movie with a great central performance by Jermaine Clement, who is funny, but never he's never trying to sort of uh, own the movie. He's never mugging, right? And it's similar in some respects to, uh, what was the Zach, uh, what's it? Garden State. No, the one he just did recently that they kickstarted for all that money. It was a sequel to Garden State. It was a, well, quasi sequel yeah. to Garden State. What was that thing? What was it called? Uh, Wish you were here. Yeah, that's like it. That. Wish you were here. This is the movie that should have been. I mean, I mean, no offense to to Zach, what's his name, but uh, that movie was ambitious, didn't quite pull it off, but had some nice flourishes. But this has heart. This has heart. It's a good movie. Aww. And then uh, what we did on our holiday. Um. Is, I mentioned, mentioned this last week when we were talking about uh, Rosamund Pike's 
unusual career after her Oscar nomination and how she's not really capitalizing on her newfound superstar. I know. Who's, who's, uh, who's her agent? Oh, man. So I mean, has got a role in that. I mean, she should be, you know, right but, up there. A-lister. But should she be doing like – here's the thing. People always say, oh, my God, she'll do a Marvel film now. Should she really be doing that? Uh, well, no, but you know what she should be getting? She should be like up against, uh, you know, Kate Blanchett and yeah. Kate Winslet and all anyone well, everyone named Kate. Well, if Kate Blanchett wants to do your movie, the, the conversation's over. But Rosamund Pike should be at least in the conversation, at least for Nicole Kidman's stuff. Yeah, you know I what agree. I'm saying? Look, like every... I, I was so happy she got nominated. Yeah. I, I thought that performance would get On overlooked. a certain level, yeah. I think part of the problem is she's almost too pretty. She has really, really just almost perfect features, which I think some people might think it's just you can't dirty her up enough. She's obviously a very beautiful woman, but I I don't consider her pretty in the way that I think you're saying. I think she's sort of like an every woman prettiness. Yes. Because you can pretty her down. You can, which they try to do in this movie. But anyway, she's fine in it. It's called What We Did on Our Holiday. Uh, co-stars with David Tennant, uh, who you know is always fun as well. And uh, the always amazing Billy Connolly, who is one of my all-time heroes. And the, uh, the idea here is that she and her husband are breaking up, and they drag the kids along to uh, his father's great big uh, 80th birthday party played by Billy Connolly. He's a former soccer player in this thing, former legendary soccer player. So, But they don't want to tell him that they're breaking up. So it winds up being this really dysfunctional family vacation. Everybody's showing up to celebrate the birthday of a guy who, and then there's a big twist in the middle of the movie. I won't tell you what happens, but uh, there are a lot of movies like this, uh, Four Weddings at a Funeral, um, Death at a Funeral, you know, all the, all the movies that are about weddings and funerals. Um, and birthdays and all kinds of family celebrations, and they're almost all British films. They all are about the dysfunctionality and yet the celebration of life that takes place at these big gatherings, and that's fair enough, fine. Uh, this is not in the league with those others, but it has a certain sheen that's, uh, that's similar, and it feels wonderful. And you know what? Anything Billy Connolly is in, even if it's not quite up to snuff, he is always amazing in it. And uh, Billy Connolly is just one of the all-time greats, and I'm so sorry he... He never got the nomination or the Oscar win that I just feel he's so richly deserved. But he just never chased it, you know. Uh, still has a chance. I'm sure there's a there's a part out there somewhere we can still get Billy Connolly that statuette if we uh, if we go for it, despite the fact that he's got some unfortunate health problems. But uh, love Billy Connolly. Anyway, the movie is what we did on our holiday. And uh, if you can get past the fact that Billy Connolly is the best thing about an otherwise somewhat mediocre movie and David Tennant and Rosamund Pike aren't quite up to snuff but are perfectly likable, you will enjoy it. It's got a featurette, deleted scenes, audio commentary um, with the directors, Andy Hamilton and Guy Jenkin. Mark. Wait, um, I love post-apocalyptic films as much as anyone. I love them all. All of them, always, really all the do. time. Well, um, uh, well, I'd say yes to that, but um, I would be contradicting myself when I talk about Air. Air is a uh, film starring uh, Norman Reedus and uh, Jaiman Huntsu, and it's terrible. You know, this is a movie about it takes place in the near future. Uh, the air has become unbreathable, and so whatever is left of humanity is in suspended animation. And there's these two guys, they're engineers, and their job is to make sure that, you know, mankind doesn't completely fall off the rails and go extinct forever. And I have to say, I, I, I would imagine that if you gave this story to, like, Alex Garland, just that oh, yeah. super talented yeah. writer and now yeah. director, yeah. and, uh, you know, like a Sunshine-era uh, Danny Boyle, there might be something that could be done with this story, but right now it's just... 
it's just really just not very good. It just uh, the whole thing eventually devolves into guys running around with guns. There's some good special effects in it. I mean, you know, so that you see the rows and rows and rows of like humanity and suspended animation tubes. You know, I guess that's pretty cool. But um, uh, you know, I just uh, this thing is just it's promising. I felt like there was it might have had something to say about humanity and and where we're headed and how tough it is to you know kind of work together as a species and move forward is some stuff to say about that, that this movie somehow winds up avoiding. So um, I'd pass on it. I would only check out Air only if you just love post-apocalyptic films. All right, fair now, enough. Now, on uh, DVD, there's a uh, there's kind of a silly little nothing of a comedy called Apartment Troubles. This co-stars and was written by and directed by these two real-life friends, Jennifer Prediger and Jesse Weixler. Okay. And, uh, you know, it, this thing is, it's, it's very indie-looking, very low budget. It really depends on the script, and it depends on the, uh, on the chemistry between the two leads, Jennifer and Wes, who are real-life friends. And so there's, you know, there, there's a couple good, interesting bits here, and we can all relate to what they go through. It's about these roommates, and uh, they're living in Manhattan, this tiny little apartment, and they wind up getting evicted, and so they decide to go to L.A., a lot of that L.A. versus New York humor, you know, we've all heard before. But um, and there's a reality TV show component in it that I thought was really tired. But if you must, at least you'll enjoy the supporting cast. I don't know how they got these people involved. Jeffrey Tambor's in this. Megan Mullally, Will Forte. It's a really good um, supporting cast. So if you like, uh, you know, New York, L.A. comparison movies, and you like, you know. Good supporting actor, showing up for a couple days' work. Um, you might have dig apartment troubles, but I was not that much of a fan. Uh, Earthfall. Here's the thing with Earthfall, Wade. I, I couldn't get through this whole thing. Mike, Mike closer Let's to your it. mouth, please. Huh? We got that mic right up there. There okay. we go. All right. It's directional. <laughs> wow. Oh, it's direct. No, it's omnidirectional. Well, whatever. That means it's I have to be. That means I have to be speaking right into it. Yes, that's correct. Pointing it to your left does not. Uh, no. Does not help. Thank you. Anyway, uh, Earthfall, um, that's another kind of post-apocalyptic thing that uh, I did not like. I didn't really even get through it all because it was lame. There's this planet, and it's a uh, rogue planet, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's pulling Earth towards it. And Earth's going to, like, uh, eat, bite the dust. You know, casualties uh, everywhere. Things blowing up. That's sub, just horrible. Sub-B-movie special effects. It's unbelievable. Lousy cast, including Joe Lando from Dr. Quinn. I had no idea what happened to that guy. After he did Dr. Quinn, he was kind of like, you know, kind of a bit of the hunk of the time. And now he does uh, crap like this. So uh, directed by Stephen Daniels with no particular flair. Obviously showing his lack of a budget, most of which went into its special effects. Uh, Earthfall, I don't know how this stuff gets made. It's just not very good. Sorry, oh, well. Anchor Bay. We love you, but not yeah. this. All right. Uh, let's uh, let me knock out a couple of documentaries here, and then we can we can get into all these classic movies or you know older movies, catalog titles, library titles, however you want to uh, however you want to uh, talk about it. Um, we got three interesting uh, doc titles this week. Uh, Adam Carolla in Road Hard, which uh, is actually quite good. Actually, there uh, there are, you know a lot of documentaries about uh, stand up comedy and going back on the road and all this kind of stuff that uh, that pop up every once in a while. The the, the woes of being uh, you know 
a stand-up comic. Uh, a lot of these guys really have nothing to be, you know, there are no woes here. They're, they're making an awful lot of money doing, you know, oh, I'm so sorry that you have to get on a bus and go in the middle of Tennessee, but you're, you're still doing really well. So we've got uh, Blood and Glory, The Civil War in Color, um, which is, uh, I'm, I think this is questionable. I, I have I have problems with the idea of this. They've gone and they've gotten a whole bunch of archival uh, photographs from the Civil War, and they've colorized them in ways that they think represents the era, that accurately represent these people. So we, we suddenly are looking at a color photograph of Abraham Lincoln or a color photograph of, uh, you know, uh, Union soldiers and Confederate soldiers fighting. It, I, you know what, I, it feels very Ted Turnery to me, and I don't necessarily like the artifice of it, and I have no way of knowing if they've done it accurately, and I, I don't know that it adds anything, to be honest. I think it's kind of just, uh, it's, it, there's sort of a sensational quality to it. Uh, that being said, we also have in the next uh, few weeks the anniversary edition of Ken Burns' The Civil War coming out. And I think this is a History Channel thing that is meant to sort of capitalize on that in sort of a shameless way. So I cannot necessarily recommend this, Blood and Glory, The Civil War in Color. Uh, wait for the Ken Burns uh, doc if you haven't don't already have it. Uh, Awake, The Life of Yogananda uh, is from Alive Mind, which is a subsidiary of uh, Kino Lorber. And um, if you're not familiar with Yogananda, Yogananda is the guy who came here from India in the 1920s and basically introduced transcendental meditation to America. And that has had all kinds of uh, effects. Uh, You know, the Beatles and tons of other people uh, were really, really into some variation of it at some point. David Lynch is a huge uh, proponent of TM, uh, as is uh, Russell Brand, who's in a new documentary that just came out as well. So you know this is uh, this has this has become kind of a whether for good or ill a trendy thing in uh, much in the Western world, not quite so much in India, but nonetheless it's uh, this 87 minute documentary on the life of Yogananda called Awake, is certainly uh, informative. I don't know if it's a great and thorough documentary, but if you're unfamiliar with this whole scene, it's certainly uh, it, it provides you more information than you otherwise would have had. Wait, uh, we have uh, two films about board games. Oh, this uh, yeah. Well, we have a Jumanji. Well, not really. Boring. This is an aniv- these anniversary yes. releases uh, of three films, two of which I actually like, one of which I just cannot abide. But I understand why they're releasing. Uh, uh, Jumanji with the late Robin Williams. This is the uh, anniversary edition. This movie uh, had some great special effects, and I have to say that it's uh, it's a pretty scary movie. You, you I notice, think part you of the no- thing with the movie when I first saw it is like, God, this is kind of intense. It's like you you, you think it's with. You think it's for kids, but uh, there's a lot of kind of scary stuff in this movie. But do, do, do you see what's going on here, by the way? If I could just interrupt. You're, Mark's about to talk about a trio of movies that have been released in anniversary editions all at the same time. And you, you think, well, why are they releasing Zathura, Indian in the Cupboard, and Jumanji all in one shot? What what on earth is, is, uh, is the idea here for Sony? And the idea is that... Uh, they're about to open up the new Goosebumps movie, the big-budget theatrical version of Goosebumps, just in time for Halloween, which I saw the trailer for the other day, and the first thought in my mind was, looks like Jumanji. And uh, the idea here is that they want to bring out movies that are similar in some respect to Goosebumps, and all three of these have a, a big Jumanji, or a big Goosebumps plug on them. 
So yeah, they're and similar uh, and similar packaging. So they're 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 trying to basically grease the wheels for goosebumps by by you know bringing out these three catalog titles. I mean, that's wh- the idea. While that is true, Jumanji is a movie. I mean, it's a movie that was very popular at the time. And it looks like it's better than Goosebumps. It has uh, you know it has great special effects. Uh, you know, simple story, but uh, you know people really enjoy Jumanji. I ju- I enjoy Jumanji. It's got a good cast. Very young Kirsten Dunst is in this. Uh, BB Newworth is in this. Obviously, as we said, Robin Williams is in this. And so, um, you know, Jumanji, Jumanji was a cool movie. Bonnie Hunt's in it. So uh, there's a couple special features, all new. There's a couple episodes from the Jumanji animated series, which is terrible. There's a special effects uh, uh, crew commentary, which I thought was kind of interesting. But um, anyway, so Jumanji, that was definitely a thing. I think much better than Jumanji is uh, Zathura. And this is one of those movies like where this? I did. You know oh what? Oh, my gosh. I, I thought to myself... This thing looks like a piece of junk, but you know what? John Favreau, he's got a sense of fun and lightheartedness and, and, and enchantment that I, obviously he's kind of lost that now, um, now that he's Mr. Iron Man. But yeah. um, still, I thought this was much better than uh, I would have expected. Josh Hutcherson is in it. Kristen, uh, Kristen Stewart is in it. He's obviously movies from 2005, I think, so it's much younger. Josh Hutcherson, uh, Dak Shepard, Kristen Stewart, Tim Robbins are in it. Thing, it looks great. And uh, it's about this board game, just like Jumanji, but here they get beamed into outer space and have a big adventure. This thing, it's, uh, it's got a kind of a cool little amiable sense of humor. And, uh, you know, even the movie even – because I did not find Jumanji like an emotional experience. They didn't try to like loop in the, you know, the enchantment of youth and David, that kind of stuff. And David, how it is David actually, Alan Greer made Jumanji for me. He is the funniest thing in this movie. He isn't but Ju- but Zathura has definitely has the emotional component that uh, Jumanji was missing. Um, so yeah, look, this mm. thing was written by David Kep, who's very talented and a good director as well. But this was directed by John Favreau, who really knocks it out of the park. And it's very early. It's very kind of early Spielbergish, Zathura, I have to say. And uh, I did like it. All right, I did like it. Well, speaking of Indian in the cupboard, that's. Did yeah. you not like Indian in the cupboard? Did you? I did, actually. Directed by Frank Oz, written by Melissa Matheson, the only thing she's written after E.T. E.T.? Yeah, it's weird. Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall produced it. I mean, it's got great cred. It just does it. I mean, it's not as great as as you would expect it to be from all those people. It's kind of minor, but um, it's very sweet. It's based on a a popular novel. It's good. It's got, uh, you know, more of that Goosebumps crap on it. But, uh, you know, this has some featurettes, and it's, uh, I, I think, Indian in the Cupboard is kind of an overlooked gem, so... Take those. I would. I would leave Zathura on the floor and, and pick up any in the cupboard Whoa, and, uh, and Jumanji. Wade, disagreeing with me. I You're am. late. Yes, I am. All righty. Uh, we've got a just a ridiculous gob of uh, of classic movie stuff to blow through here. So, um, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's do. Here's what I'm gonna. All right. Uh, pick whichever of those you feel qualified to uh, to, to ramble about, um, and I'm going to talk for a second about the uh, inevitable, the invariable, the forecasted release, because all Wes Anderson movies must eventually come out on Criterion of Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, uh, I love this movie. You so know much. what? And we, uh, we always say that every time a Wes Anderson movie comes out in some format that is not Criterion, everyone says, Whoa, is that going to be the first one? It's like, No, just 
Give it a year. Well, <laughs> I, it, I had the previous... Give it a year or two, and then Criterion will be allowed by the studio to come out with their edition, because and Wes Anderson insists. That is in his contract. At some point, he wants the movie to have a Criterion edition. And I have it. You know what? I, I, I had the old Moonrise Kingdom. Getting rid of it. Criterion all the way. There you go. That's Love this way it movie goes. so much. Love it. Studios, Love it. Made, studios made their money. Now uh, Criterion can make theirs. And uh, what a wonderful movie this is. I mean, he's on, he's on such a roll now with his career. He was sort of off the rails for a little while there with the, you know, the, 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 the What's It Express, the Indian thing, and... Things weren't really working out, and... Um, oh, he's back, man. He is back. He's really right. back. I mean, Budapest Hotel was fantastic, but uh, Moonrise Kingdom, so sweet, so wonderful, and uh, low... I mean, gorgeous, gorgeous transfer, um, and tons of great extras on here. You get uh, storyboard animatics and uh, uh, great audio commentary that uh, in- involves Wes Anderson, Bill Murray, Edward Norton, Jason Schwartzman, and Roman Coppola. Uh, and I credit Roman Coppola, actually, for sort of taming his sensibilities a little bit. I think ever since he started co-writing with Roman Coppola, he, it's brought out a new element to his, to his, uh, to his creativity. Uh, great booklet here as well with an essay by Jeffrey O'Brien, and uh, it's great. Everything here is great. There's a, the, the best thing on all of this, though, is this uh, documentary about the making of the film, which is it just it you know we all know a little bit about his style and his way of working but we're just watching it is is just so cool so uh that is moonrise kingdom new criterion blu-ray edition wes anderson director approved uh we well, got a bunch of good stuff here wade yeah first of all but these are catalog this, titles. there's some there's some paramount stuff there that uh, came out a while back but uh we finally got it from warner brothers and i want to make sure that it was it was on our um on our new site, because uh, these kind of went under the radar. They were uh, these these three that you're going to talk about here in a second. They were released um, without any fanfare, no review, no nothing. It was just you know because Warner's is releasing a lot of this catalog Paramount stuff now, and uh, they got no fanfare. But I think they need to have some fanfare on this show. So by all means, fire away. You know, Serpico is uh, yes. It's one of the great 70s films, one of the great uh, Pacino performances. Sidney Lumet, who, of course, is just synonymous with just just down and dirty, gritty urban crime sagas. You know, the thing with Lumet is that he, I, I revered him. He was never over the top. No, you know, never. He, you felt it was such a street-level mm-hmm. look at just crime in yep. the big city. And Serpico is one of his best. Al Pacino, one of his best performances, based on a true story about a policeman who— who blows the cover on some uh, chicanery in his uh, in his precinct and his fellow cops? So he's he's gone. You know he's calling out these dirty cops for who they are, going after going anti-establishment, and uh, it was great. It's a great film, and it's a terrific uh, Blu-ray. They ported some of these over from previous releases, but at least it's still there. Um, there's a uh, you know there's a there's uh, EPK type thing called Real to Real, which is pretty good. There's a photo gallery, which is okay, but the photo gallery has a commentary by Sidney Lumet, and uh, it's a great, based on the book by Peter Moss, it's a great film, Serpico, one of the best of the 70s. Um, gotta get it. Gotta get it. Also, Flashdance, which um, I have to say was um, a huge film at the time, directed by Adrian Lyne. Adrian Lyne was a director who uh, kind of tapped into some weird zeitgeist over his career, you know, uh, Fatal Attraction, and of course, Flashdance and a bunch of other films that uh, he had a moment there. Adrian Lyne. Now he's kind of gone. He was he was sort of like an affliction, you know. I I think a lot of people really felt they suffered from Lyme disease. Boogie boogie, boogie boogie, boogie boogie. 
Anyway, what a feeling, man. What a feeling. You know, you got uh, Jennifer Beals, who looks the same today that she did like 30 years ago. Kind of creepy, right? It really is. But uh, it's got the great music. It's got the, it's got the cheesy romance. It's got the leg warmers. It's got the water falling on her on a bucket. It's just fantastic. <laughs> this is just 80s synth music and cheesy romance. And you know what? It's Simpson and Bruckheimer, and God love them. Screenplay co-written by Joe Esterhouse. This is back in their like '90s heyday. You know, this is 1983, but it's back in their like early, like '80s, yeah. '90s heyday. And this is great stuff. This is great cheesy stuff. Gotta love Flashdance. Death Wish. You know, um, there, there was a bunch of Death Wish movies, and as Canon started to release more and more Death Wish movies, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second, people seem to forget that the original Death Wish was from 1974, was a real movie. Michael Winner. It was Michael Winner. Before and it was, they did Death Wish 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 10, when, when, 14 when, and a when, half. When Cannon snapped up the rights of the Death Wish uh. franchise and just started to crank out crap, and Bronson, for some reason, just was like, okay, I'll do them all, whatever, yeah. dude. But the original Death Wish was a good movie. It, it tapped into, at the time, New York City was a complete cesspool, and we're talking the uh, you know early to mid-'70s, New York was a cesspool, and this movie just taps into that... That urban, just that urban panic, that that society is just totally crumbling, and it's really good. Death Wish is a real movie, and uh, you guys should definitely check it out. So that's uh, Bronson at his best. Uh, from here, we actually, you know what? Here's a good one. Actually, let's let's, let's, let's pick out the good ones before we go to the bad ones. Um, there was a moment there where uh, oh, the I big, love this movie. The big picture, funny <laughs> movie. Christopher Guest. Directed it. He also uh, co-wrote along with Michael McKeon. It's like the only mo- the only non-mockumentary he ever made. It is, but but it's, it's but really it still good. has a lot to say oh. in, in, in his own way. He's mocking the it's, Hollywood system. This is one of the best uh, uh, Hollywood inside Hollywood movie mockery movies ever made. It, it is, really is. It is so great. It's you know Kevin Bacon, so young looking and so funny in it, and 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 who was no one was funnier than than Martin Short in this thing. Martin Short is just hilarious. This is just a great movie. Got oh, a great Martin cast. Brilliant. Martin Short, Terry Hatcher, J.T. Walsh, and for Jason J- Lee. J.T. Walsh is that studio exec who just in the most passive-aggressive way forces him to change everything in his script is, is just incredible. Incredible. I, I mean, it's because it, that's exactly how it is. I think, but have you thought maybe it shouldn't take place in, in Texas? Let me, let me just give you a thought. What about, what about there New, is- New Guinea? What about New Guinea? Not that that's in the movie, but it's that kind of reasoning, you know. There is so much truth to this movie, and it's so funny. And again, Martin Short just knocks it out of the park with a totally over-the-top performance. So I just fun. love this film. The big picture, you got to check it out. Right. It's really funny. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have before we go to the bad stuff? Um, let's see. Uh, let's go to the bad stuff. All right. Well, let, let, actually, let, let we're, me We're make, not going to the bad stuff? Uh, before you get to that, you mentioned canon, so let me just make mention of this, since this is in the, uh, in the rundown today. Uh, we've got the, the Bombs, Babes, and Blockbusters of Canon Films 10-pack DVD collection. And you might ask yourself, why on earth would I want that? Because Canon Films is, re- is, is enjoying right now kind of a reassessment. And not a reassessment in which people are nostalgically looking back and thinking, boy, those movies were really so much better than we gave them credit for. It's a reassessment in the sense of, wow, those movies were so bad, but I think I kind of miss them anyway. Like, I miss the awfulness of that period. I miss you know the why? relentless Golan, Globin che- Golan Globus cheesiness. Because all these movies, you think they starred Chuck Norris, and you think they starred Jean-Claude Van Damme. Really, the stars of these movies were Golan and Globus. Yes, They true. were the stars. Well, they, were, they were the Israeli cousins who were bigger than life, and they just threw money around with the little money they had. 
and they would buy up the rights to these crappy movies and make these low-budget B films, and they all were just ridiculously bad. In this case, they almost all do star uh, Chuck Norris, with a couple by Stallone and then Masters of the Universe is in here. Here are the movies. Missing in Action, Invasion USA, Cobra, uh, The Delta Force, Masters of the Universe, Over the Top, the Stallone uh, arm wrestling movie, Bloodsport with Van Damme, which was a movie that put him over the top. Uh, you know, I, I've had some interesting interface with Frank Dukes, not personally, but through many of the same people. And uh, The Hitman with, uh, with, with Chuck Norris, which actually is not a bad movie, to be honest. That's maybe the best movie of all of these. Hellbound, uh, another horrendous Chuck Norris movie. And then the documentary, the new documentary, Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films, uh, which is sensational. Uh, and now you can get that separately. You can get Electric Boogaloo. You don't have to buy this set to get it. You can buy that on its own. Oh, but you but, have to. Come on. But you got to get the set you, because you, uh, you once need you, the examples. That's it. Once you watch this documentary... You're gonna you're, you're you're gonna think oh my gosh I I've, I've got to uh, I've got to see these movies now I've got to see them and if you buy the box set well then you'll have them right there you'll be like you, they did not really do are you serious the only thing is that once you once you watch about 15 minutes of any of these films you'll be like whoa boy these really are as bad as they seemed oh. in the documentary because there's actually two documentaries about uh, about about the Golden Globus boys there's uh there's the Go Go Boys yes and there's Electric Boogaloo yes which is the better one this is the better yes, one this I is agree. great. But don't forget, too, by the way, there was a moment when, when Cannon actually was made a couple of decent movies. Oh, Runaway Train, I mean, Runaway sure. Train yeah. is, uh, is just a great movie. It's by a, any definition, it's a great movie. Yeah. No, they, they, they tried to turn the corner in much the same way the Weinsteins did. But I don't think that uh, Menachem and Yoram quite had the – I mean, they just didn't have the know-how. They didn't have the skill. They didn't have the taste. That, that Harvey has. Harvey has impeccable taste. Say what you will about Harvey Weinstein, but the guy knows a great movie and he knows how to market a great movie. But, he, but, they, but Golden and Globus, they were just, they were just, they were businessmen, circus ringmasters, hucksters yeah. who happen to make films. Yeah. They were all of that. Yeah. You know, frankly, if they decided to go make uh, open, open a chain of pizza parlors or anything else, they probably would have been just as successful. I will, I just, I, I will never forget those, those, it's just, those first years that I went to the American Film Market and the Cannes Film Festival, and Cannon was there with such a vengeance. And at one point, they thought they were going to make a Spider-Man movie, and uh, they'd cast some major league baseball player to play Spider-Man. It was just—it was nuts. You might want to Google that. It's—it it's, was crazy. And then Cameron claimed he had the rights, and yeah, just weird stuff. Anyway, I'm, um, I'm going to Google that because I don't. Yeah, really, Google I don't, that. I don't believe you. Yeah, uh, Google that. A major league baseball player, uh, uh, Spider-Man. Canon films, you'll you'll be blown away if you can come up with it. Uh, a couple of uh, a couple of classic uh, films, well, catalog films at least being released by Sony. Uh, both of them in Blu-ray and uh, ultraviolet combo sets. Uh, the first one is Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Francis Coppola film, which is fascinating but deeply flawed. Uh, Keanu Reeves is terrible in this film. Um, the rest of the performances are uneven. Anthony Hopkins is fine. Winona Ryder, uneven. Gary Oldman, totally and crazily over the top. But it's such an interesting take, and it's uh, got so many unusual angles to it uh, that it's, it's hard not to recommend it, despite being really un- uneven. Uh, we talked about Roman Coppola uh, and his involvement in uh, Moonrise Kingdom, and I was a partner, a co-writing uh, a writing partner of Wes Anderson. He is also uh, involved in this with his father, and uh, you get an interview with him, and you realize he's, he's, you know, there's just no end to the talent in that family. He was the visual effects director on this film uh, and uh, has a lot to say about it. 
And he's also involved in the commentary. He's interviewed, and then there are deleted scenes and a trailer and tons of other stuff and featurettes. Most of it has been released before. Most of it is familiar. But um, this is so far the best Blu-ray release of this film. And then here's the more interesting one. Uh, John Carpenter's Christine, based on the uh, Stephen King novel. Uh, this was previously a Twilight Time release, and everybody was like, yay, finally, Christine. And we, uh, you know, we, um, we, we talked about this previously that um, th- last week we made, we made mention of this, uh, this phenomenon where um, uh, the, a lot of these companies like Twilight Time and Olive who are licensing these films, that they are now um, – that they, that by virtue of showing how profitable these films can be, when those licenses expire, the studios suddenly then turn around when they receive the license back and they will release a film that they might otherwise not have thought to do. I think that definitely happened here. Twilight Zone did so. Uh, Twilight Zone. Twilight Time did so well with Christine that uh, it prompted Sony to say maybe we should uh, release our own version of this, and they did. And it's got a commentary with John Carpenter. And Keith Gordon, who went on to be a great director in his own right, deleted scenes and uh, featurettes. Uh, not a ton, but it's a great transfer. It's actually better than the Twilight Time transfer. They put a little bit of effort into this one, and it comes with Ultraviolet, most importantly. Christine, one of the best John Carpenter films. I'd almost say right next to Starman. Starman would be his best. Escape from New York is second best because I'm so you know partial to that film. Christine is right in there. But Christine's right in it's there. It's right in there. It's, when it, it's one of the best Stephen King adaptations. It's but Starman really was like a real, that was a departure for him. Yeah. Very sincere love story, you know, got emotional at the end. I, I mean, I just love deranged car movies. The movie The Car, even as, as horrible. I love as The it, Car. As horrible as that movie is. No, that movie is that the best. That's James Brolin. Yeah, but and Christine the guy is better. The, and then the guy with the French horn hikes, he, he hitchhikes Christine at the beginning. Christine is better. And then, and then he gets his French horn all crushed Christi- by the car, and then the car goes off into the ravine, and then it yeah. blows up, becomes like the monster frame. Christine is better. No, it's not. Christine is better. It. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's better. Star. All right. What else you got there, Mark? You got some bad well, ones? Well, I'm, I'm looking for baseball canon films. Oh, you although, Well, I'm finding what canon was going to do with Spider-Man when they optioned the... Um, when they optioned it for five years from Marvel, Cannon was going to turn Spider-Man, because Golden Globus didn't quite understand what Spider-Man was. They had a commissioned a script whereby Peter Parker gets bitten by a radioactive spider and turns into like this horrible, eight-legged, disgusting, horrible, hairy creature because the boys didn't understand what Spider-Man was. They thought that that's what it was. And Stan Lee said, you've got to be kidding me. And then uh, another script was commissioned that was a little more... Uh, it was more uh, uh, consistent with what we know about Spider-Man today, but I cannot find anything about a baseball player. Well, I know that uh, uh, Doc Octopus was originally to have been played by Schwarzenegger at one point in the canon Spider-Man. They were going to have Schwarzenegger play Dr. Octopus. Lame. Well, it's interesting. I heard Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Anyway. That would have been good. Anyway, John McTiernan, before he uh, went to jail and, uh, and was tapping people's phones, he uh, did a film called Nomads, and Nomads uh, stars... Um, uh, Pierce Brosnan, Leslie Ann Down, and uh, it's got a good cast. Uh, is this film any good? You know, it's uh, it's okay. It's kind of... It's, it's what th- put him on the map. This is what got him uh, uh, Predator. Yeah, I guess that's true. He got him Predator, and then Predator got him Die Hard, and, and, and then he was on his on his way. Well, the whole idea is that it's there are these demonic spirits, and and, you know, they descend on this doctor, a couple doctors, and this other crazy guy, and it's just a weird... Kind of a weird supernatural chiller movie. It's like it's not sci-fi. It's not 
Poltergeisty. It's from 1986, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't really think much of this movie. 20-year uh, anniversary Blu-ray edition of Hackers. This is with Johnny Lee Miller and Angelina Jolie. Oh, this is terrible. This, this is, is only because this is only because that's the movie that they met on, and then uh, they wound up marrying for 14 minutes. And yes, they did. Yeah. Yes, they did. Anyway, so uh, it's it, this is one of the early films about computer hacking. It's like a big thing then. Oh you remember God. the net with uh, Sandra Bullock? Yeah, which, <laughs> that was you, terrible. Have you watched that again recently? No. Why would I do? Nothing that? about it makes any sense. You know it's what just, it is? It's so funny. When when all this stuff comes out and becomes like the new hip thing, yeah. producer. I remember when Chris Evans starred in that film Cellular. Oh, like somebody came out. Yeah. You know that that you know that new thing called cell phones. Let's do a thing where like the guy is on the run and his only communication with the world is through his cell phone and the battery's running out. You did that movie today. People Boo. just laugh. Anyway, uh, yes, Hackers is a cheesy movie. Uh, Fisher Stevens is in it, too, along with Lorraine Bracco from Goodfellas. Only notable for um, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Lee Miller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I, have, I have a little bit of a soft spot for Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. <laughs> Stupid. Directed by Simon from... Windsor. Oh, such a dumb idea for a movie. It, it really is. I'll I mean, I, I get it. it. The only way that this makes sense is someone walks in, we'll make a movie about Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, right? We, like, we turn them into characters. And, and that sounds stupid until you go with Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson. Damn right. And then suddenly, I think, I think everyone in the room just erupts and uh, takes a hit of cocaine, and suddenly that movie gets made. Somehow. Uh, you know what? You know what? I, I have a bit of a soft spot for it. Uh, yes, it's, it's, it's about a bar that's going to be closed down. And so Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson have a plan to save the bar, mainly rob a bank. And so uh, it all starts from there. Holly yeah. Davidson and the Marlboro Man, ask your parents. Um, <laughs> Robot Jocks. This was a Steve oh, Gordon, Stu- uh, Stuart Gordon film. Oh, my gosh. And the thing with Stuart Gordon is that, you know, he, he's kind of a cult director, you know, he's a really bright. He's a really bright he's guy, He's a bright by the guy, way. And, uh, but I didn't know what to make of Robot Jocks. Yeah. I, it just seemed really lame. It takes place in the future, and war's been outlawed, and so, you know, if you have a dispute with another country, it's, it's settled in this winner-take-all fight between machines. You know what? It's a little bit like, um, this is like the baby version of uh, Pacific Rim. You ever see Pacific Rim? Yeah. I like Pacific Rim, but, the, but I get what you're saying. This is the, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know what to make of this film. It was it was low budget and it didn't have that cult feel. It had a more of a low budget feel than a cult feel. So mm. I was kind of disappointed by it. But uh, people kind of some people kind of like this movie, Robot Jocks. Finally, just for the hell of it, we'll, we'll just tell you that uh, uh, this is a double feature Blu-ray out, double feature of Easy Money <laughs> and Men at Work. <laughs> I, okay. I I love Easy Money. This is not Rodney. I mean, I love Rodney Dangerfield. Easy Money hardly his best film. I do like the Billy Joel song at the end. Yeah. And the Men at Work at, was at a time when Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez were like the young, countercultural, cool kids doing the crazy comedies. Um, but this one really... good friend of mine who actually yeah. hired me, she actually hired me for my uh, first job working as an usher at the Man's National. She was an assistant manager at the time. And she was, uh, you know, we, we bonded over the fact that I'd gone to school with Charlie and she was close friends with Emilio. And uh, let me see if her name is here because she's actually a producer on this film. <laughs> oh, the credits aren't here on the back, are they? Okay. Well, anyway, she's uh, yeah, she was a producer on the film. So uh, shout out to you. Love you, Barbara. 
uh, I'm still thrilled that you got to, got to work with them on this film. Uh, but I'll tell you, Easy Money, I love Easy Money. I love that. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know why I love it? I love it because it pairs two actors that you would never have otherwise thought to pair, but they are so great together on screen. And I'm shocked that nobody continued to say, wow, Rodney Dangerfield and Joe Pesci, we could just, we could milk that forever. I mean, that was an avenue. Twins. Rodney Dangerfield starring in oh Twins, Oh, my too. gosh. When they're, when they're in the, we're browsing. Oh, we're just browsing. Oh, that whole, that whole bit browsing in the men's department. I just want to hear Rodney do a stand-up. Oh, it's brilliant. It's just so much fun. Here, you know, here, here's my Rodney Dangerfield joke of the day. You, you ready? This Rodney had this funny line. This is in his stand-up. I just happened to remember it. Yeah. He says, um, he says, yo, I was so ugly. In fact, I was so ugly that when I was born, the doctor slapped my mother. <laughs> Love Rodney. I like that. I used I to like work with one. Rodney's daughter. Did you really? Rodney's daughter was a booker on the Roseanne show. Really? For a season, yeah. And then she missed New York and went back to New York. Wow. Melanie, her name was Melanie. Wow. She's just as neurotic as uh, you would imagine. I, I can imagine. <laughs> yes. Uh, we got a bunch. Of, well, I'm going to class up the joint right now. So uh, the Epic of Everest, I think, was probably timed to be a uh, to go along with the current uh, tentpole film Everest, which is not done all that well, which is. Rather sad to me because a friend of mine was a producer on that as well. But um, it's a good movie, by the way. Everest, do you see Everest? I passed on the screen. Did you really? It's good, man. Really? I don't know. I, it's, it's just not it, – I think it's a late, the late summer blues. People aren't going to see it. But um, I hope it picks up on DVD and Blu-ray when it comes out because it's, it's good. It's really, really well done. But anyway, uh, this is, uh, was meant to sort of tie into that. The Epic of Everest uh, from Kino Classics. Uh, from 1924, an amazing silent film that is just absolutely sensational, beautifully restored here, uh, directed by Captain John Knoll. And uh, this is uh, essentially the, the, the story of the, I mean, it, it, it is. It, this is the whole, this is the deal from the 1924 uh, expedition that resulted in uh, George Mallory and Andrew Irvine uh, dying. And... Um, it, there was a huge question after that as to whether they actually got to the top. And uh, this is the film that was shot over the course of that effort. And uh, it's just amazing. I mean, you look at this and you realize that um, you can't really, you could not do this film today with digital cameras because the conditions would freeze up all the electronics in the cameras. You need mechanical cameras that that you know can work in these unbelievably cold environments. If you were to take any of these really hypersensitive electronic, you know, Sony or RED or whatever else, you, as soon as you get a third of the way up Everest, those things will just implode. Nothing will work. So there's something to be said about old-fashioned mechanical cameras that can go into these inclement conditions all over the globe, the, the extreme heats and colds and underwater, and, and just keep working because they're mechanical and they're amazing. And uh, this is an extraordinary film, beautifully restored on Blu-ray, great score. Um, just fantastic, absolutely fantastic. A little bit of color tinting in it as well, which is cool. And as long as we're on the subject of classic films, Flickr Alley, got to always give a shout-out to Flickr Alley when they come out with something new. Uh, they now have uh, Masterworks of Avant-Garde Experimental Cinema from 1920 to 1970. They, uh, they continue to release these things. This is a, a multi-disc Blu-ray set. Uh, that contains somewhere in the neighborhood of about five hours, six hours worth of material. It, if you don't like avant-garde experimental films, you're not going to care about it. But this is uh, the the the. There's like three dozen movies here that are just 
mind-blowing, off-the-wall, weird, cool, beautiful, eccentric, and uh, yet they there's somehow this cool, nostalgic beauty to them. And even if I wouldn't have liked these movies if they were made now, the fact that they are... They were made during previous eras, from the silent right up to 1970. Kind of feels like you're, kind of feels like you're 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 on board with this amazing cinematic journey. It's really quite cool. So um, highly, highly recommended uh, is Masterworks of American Avant-Garde Experimental Film, 1920 to 1970. It is like an alternate history of American film and uh, a must-have for anybody who uh, who really appreciates that kind of stuff. Uh, and then we've got a couple other criterions here that should be mentioned. Uh, kind of minor, but important nonetheless, is the Blu-ray debut of the 1969 film The Honeymoon Killers. Uh, the Honeymoon Killers is uh, significant because it is one of the weirdest true stories uh, you could possibly imagine. And um, uh, it's kind of gone, it's sort of faded under the uh, sort of faded into the uh, the background of, uh, of film history a little bit. But it features really amazing performances by Shirley Stoller and Tony LoBianco uh, in this weird, horrible story of these, this, like, you know, con man and uh, this just horror. I mean, what actually happens here is just, is just dreadful. It's really dreadful. And uh, there's no way to sort of do justice to it without describing the story, and I can't. I don't want to give anything away if you haven't seen it, but you need to see this. Um, 4K uh, digital transfer and restoration. Uh, Love Letters, which is a new interview with uh, interview program by Robert Fisher that includes Tony LoBianco and uh, Marilyn Chris and the film's editor. And then there's a video essay called Dear Martha, uh, written by uh, Scott Christensen, who uh, previously wrote Condemned Inside the Sing Sing Death House, and uh, Really great movie, fascinating story, very disturbing, well worth, uh, well worth checking out. Uh, because it's a criterion, you should own it, but at the very least, rent it. The other criterion this week uh, thrills me to no end. It is A Room with a View, the James Ivory film that uh, started the, uh, the, whole tr- the whole train, the, G- the, Ivory, the Merchant Ivory train as far as American audiences were concerned. They'd done a lot of stuff prior to this, but this was the thing that kind of launched it, right? You did this, and then you had uh, Howard's End, and... Uh, remains of the day, and then they got their Disney deal and, and blew that with Jefferson in Paris. And you know, but they became a big deal with this film. This was an independent smash. Do you remember Room with a View? Of course, they all uh, Merchant Ivory. They were they were like a uh, they were synonymous with quality. Well, doing that whole E.M. Forster British thing, right? Sure. It was you know they they had their brand for for a moment there in the uh, in the nineteen eighties. And it was really it was a great run. I mean, it was a it was a run of about ten years. It was uh, it was it sort of started with Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, with uh, with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. But uh, it sort of and the Bostonians. I guess you could go back to the Bostonians. And but this is really when they started getting Oscar nominations. They just started just killing it at the Academy Awards and uh, never really won any. But they got a lot of nominations. Uh, gorgeous film at, adapted from the M. Forster novel. Largely remembered by many people because of the scene in which Julian Sands runs around naked. This is before he made Gothic and uh, and embarrassed himself and everyone else. And frankly, you know, boxing Helena. He kind of became a weird dude after this, didn't he? Well, boxing Helena will do that to you. Yeah, it sure will. Uh, but uh, a lot of great stuff on here. Um, you know, the new interviews with uh, James Ivory and uh, Tony Pierce Roberts, the cinematographer, John Bright, who did the costumes, Helena Bonham Carter, Simon Callow, Julian Sands. A lot of great stuff. And uh, there's a 1987 episode from the NBC Nightly News talking about Merchant Ivory Productions, which is really, really fun. 
And uh, then the uh, the last little weird thing that I'm going to mention here, and then we'll um, uh, what are we going to do? Let me see if we're going to. Is this it? Uh, you know what? That television that can wait till next week. We'll do the television next week. Um, Mark. Yes. Are you familiar with the American Dreamer? I am not. You're not. I wasn't either. Uh, this is unbelievably strange. So here's the thing. After Dennis Hopper made Easy Rider, a lot of weird stuff happened in Hopper's life and his career, some of which we know about, a lot of stuff we don't know about necessarily. But, you know, before Easy Rider, Dennis Hopper was just a clean-cut, up-and-coming Hollywood actor, right? Like he was in Giant. Remember in Giant? Sure, clean-cut, yeah. Yeah, clean-cut, good-looking kid. He's like, And then he becomes kind of a, this counterculture figure. And... Um, suddenly he's consumed after Easy Rider with all kinds of really amazing offers. He followed up Easy Rider with uh, the last movie, which nobody has seen. And it's this weird semi-experimental thing about it's it's just it, it nobody actually saw it. And uh, he was supposed to be the next generation of American filmmaking. He was supposed to be the new Orson Welles, and he just went off the deep end, right, and made a horrible, disastrous movie that nobody saw. And suddenly he, he was almost like begging for work. And the American Dreamer is essentially uh, this, this look into uh, his, his whole mindset, his, uh, his process during this particular period in time. And... Um, it's fascinating and it's disturbing and it's um, it's extremely illuminating about a particular point in time and a uh, a particular a particular mindset a particular milieu in Hollywood. It's just it, it, and this thing has almost been non-existent for the longest time. But this is a a fascinating documentary from a time when uh, documentaries like this just weren't being made. These behind-the-scenes, you know, look inside the artist and the filmmaking process and all this. So uh, this was made in 1971 and uh, by a couple of filmmakers named Lawrence Schiller and L.M. Kit Carson, two people I'm unfamiliar with, unfamiliar with their... Uh, with anything else they they've done, but what a what a wild and weird and woolly document of an amazing talent, uh, just completely in the throes of mania. Uh, Dennis Hopper in the American Dreamer, really a, an unbelievably cool and intriguing film. Um, yeah, that's it. So let's see. Uh, are we? Let's see. Hold on. You know what? Let me. Um, real quickly, let me just go through uh, these over here, and then we will call it. Um, We've got a bunch of this stuff from the, the Kino Lorber uh, Classics line, Studio Classics line. They keep coming out with these just fast and furious. So here is the stuff that's out this week. Uh, Lee Van Cleef and Stuart Whitman and Carol Baker in Captain Apache, which is a 1971 uh, late-era Western, right before Westerns fell out of favor once again. Uh, you know, this thing's not great, but it's, uh, it's, it's you know, if you're, if you're a Lee Van Cleef fan and you... you Rather not watch, you know. I love Lee Van Cleef. Escape from New York. Escape from New York. You know, then and spaghetti westerns. Uh, Another Lee Van Cleef film with James Mason, Gina Lola Brigida, and Gianni Garco. I guess is how you pronounce it. This was uh, from 1971 as well. It's called Bad Man's River. It's a little bit better, mainly because of Gina Lola Brigida, who, frankly, I would watch if she were just standing in line at the supermarket. So uh, that I can recommend strictly for Gina Lola Brigida. Uh, another Blu-ray of Burnt Offerings, which has c- kind of vanished from the, the scene. This was a Dan Curtis movie back when Dan Curtis was uh, emerging, segueing out of uh, 
the Dark Shadows thing and, and his television Dracula and Frankenstein productions and trying to do something a little bit more uh, more legit as far as feature films are concerned. I like um, this movie. Oliver Reed. It's okay. It's okay. Oliver Reed's good. Burgess Meredith is good. Uh, Betty Davis shows up and is a little bit embarrassing, uh, but it's all right. It's, uh, you know... It's all right. It has a certain 70s post-Rosemary's Baby sheen to it, so I can, I can dig with it. Uh, Scissors is, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of a mediocre film from 1996 with Sharon Stone and Steve Railsback, uh, which doesn't really, it's not really worth checking out unless you have to, you're a Sharon Stone completist, which I am not. Uh, the Wonderful Country with Robert Mitchum and Julie London is uh, another so-so western from the uh, you know a, a, a period when westerns were sort of a little bit too ubiquitous. 1959, there were you know 20 or 30 westerns being made every year, and uh, most of them were incredibly mediocre. This is directed by Robert Parrish, who did a ton of these films, and. Uh, it's not great. It's you know all these people have done better work. So only if you're again if you're a fan of the uh, of the actors. And then the last two, which are strictly on DVD, not on Blu-ray, because I suppose that there is uh, a Twilight Time Blu-ray release in the offing for either of these. Uh, one is Support Your Local Sheriff, uh, which is a, a partner film with Support Your Local Gunfighter with uh, Harry Morgan and Jack Elam, directed by Burt Kennedy. Um, you know, enjoyable, not brilliant. And then uh, lastly, uh, Support Your Local Gunfighter, also directed by Burt Kennedy, James Garner, Suzanne Plachette. This is the better movie of the two. Uh, but only because James Garner is awesome and Suzanne Plachette has the voice that just makes me swoon. So uh, that's it for this week's show. Mark? Yes, sir. Do you have any parting recipes that you would recommend to the listeners? Ice cream. You mean like just tart, name all the ingredients, something, the amounts? No, just the, something that they should eat this week. They should eat ice cream. Ice cream is good for you. It's good for your soul. It makes you happy. Good. We're done.